May is a time for growing things, for little green leaves poking their way out of the soil. Today on Curio Cabinet, we'll be listening to two chapters from The Vegetable Garden by Ida Dandridge Bennett. These chapters are about vine, vegetables, and fruit. Lovely things to plant when things are just starting to turn warm. So find a seat and pull up your watering can. And let's hear about growing things. Section 17 of The Vegetable Garden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephanie Lee. The Vegetable Garden by Ida Dandridge Bennett. Chapter 11. Fine Vegetables and Fruits. Part 1. Though limited in number, the fruits or vegetables produced by plants of a viny nature comprise some of the most important and interesting of the garden's productions. The culture differs somewhat from that given other plants, and is limited to a shorter period of active operations. All vine growths are exceedingly tender when young, and for this reason cannot be gotten into the ground until all danger of frost is past and the soil is warm. The seeds of this class of plants, especially of melons in variety, are very sensitive to wet or cold, and prone to decay, if conditions are not quite right. It is often, for this reason, necessary to repeat the planting twice, or oftener, before a good stand of plants is obtained. No seed should go into the ground at the north before the 20th of May, and in many instances the 1st of June will give better results. Where very early fruit is desired, Seed may be started in the house or hotbed by cutting sods from a meadow or other place and cutting them in squares, about five inches in diameter, and packing them closely together in a warm hotbed. The grass, if long, should be sheared away and the sods set grass side down. On each of these pieces of sod, five or six seeds of melons or squash may be planted, covered with two inches of rich, fine soil or manure, and when the seeds have germinated, all but three of the best may be removed. When the weather is favorable, these pieces of sod may be planted out in the open ground in hills prepared as for seed. Great care must be taken in handling the sods, as there is no plant grown in the garden so sensitive to disturbance in transplanting as the musk melon. Cucumbers and squash are less sensitive, but even these will stand little disturbance and handling. Old strawberry baskets are sometimes used for this purpose, being placed in the hotbed close together and filled with rich soil well pressed into them. When transplanted, basket and all is removed to the field. Do not set them in the open until after June 1st. A warm, sunny situation suits all vine plants, and a light, moist, sandy soil, heavily enriched with well-decayed manure, is necessary for their successful culture. The ground should be very thoroughly prepared by deep plowing and repeated dragging and raking. The seeds should be planted in hills, four feet apart for cucumbers, and six for muskmelons, while eight feet apart will give none too much room for squashes and watermelons. Two or three spadefuls of manure should be incorporated in each hill, which should be raised a little above the surface of the ground. The object in planting in these raised hills is that water may not settle about the plant should excessive rainfall follow the planting. In dry seasons level planting would be all right, but seeds planted on the level in a wet season will be quite certain to decay. 
and even plants which have come up will damp off under these conditions. Planting on elevated hills is a measure of protection which may be supplemented by covering the hills with a frame of wood or a light box with the bottom knocked out and replaced with a pane of glass. Given this protection, the plants will come through a wet spell fairly well. In the small home garden, the use of frames is a very practical and satisfactory measure. As after the plants have become started and the weather sufficiently warm, the glass may be replaced with a screen of window netting and the plants protected from the squash bug or beetle, which creates such havoc in the melon patch. These frames, if removed and stored in a dry place as soon as the need for them is over, will last for years. They should not be left on the hills after the vines have made enough growth to escape from them, and in the early stage of growth, while the glass is in use, it should be removed during the hottest part of the day, and netting used to prevent burning, and to allow the plants the advantage of fresh air. As soon as the plants have made a foot or less of growth, the ends of all the branches should be pinched back. This encourages the plants to branch freely, and will also result in the first blossoms formed setting fruit which will ripen much in advance of fruit on unpruned vines. It is claimed by some that the first blossoms set on the vines are sterile and would bear no fruit, but this is not my opinion, nor does experience justify any such theory, as I invariably find that when the vines are pinched back they produce from three to five melons close to the root, which are always several days or weeks earlier than those on the remainder of the vines. I note this of the melons especially, squashes giving one or two fruits at the base of the plant. Where ground is at a premium, and one only desires to grow sufficient fruit for the private table, very satisfactory results may be obtained by growing the melons and cucumbers on netting. The hen park fence affords an excellent opportunity for this form of culture, and I find that the hens do not disturb the vines in the least. I do not think the vines produce quite so freely as on the ground, but the fruit matures quite as well and the labor of caring for and gathering it is so much less than when grown on the ground, and the fruit so much more attractive in appearance, that the method has much to commend it. Cucumbers especially do well, and the fresh bright appearance is in marked contrast to that of the ground-grown fruit. There is no labor connected with the growing of vegetables so trying as that of gathering pickles. The difficulty of getting about among the vines, and the stooping position necessary to their gathering, make it exceedingly wearisome. Where they are grown on the ground, it will be well to curtail the growth sufficiently by frequent pinchings back, or directing the running vines, to allow room to pass between the hills without treading on the vines, which seriously injures them and stops their bearing. Cultivation should begin about the hills as soon as the plants are above ground, and earlier if the soil becomes hard or caked. Some twelve or fifteen seeds should have been planted in each hill. This allows for those which decay, or for any reason fail to start and furnish food for the bugs, which are quite sure to appear unless the plants are protected by frames. When the plants have gotten their rough leaves and the bugs have left them, all but three plants should be removed, and these encouraged to grow by the application of a little nitrate of soda, worked into the hills about the plants in the proportion of a tablespoonful to a hill. Hen manure is also an excellent dressing for this purpose. If the trowel or light hoe is used about the plants in the hills, and for a little distance out, no weeds will gain a foothold there, and the hand cultivator will take care of the ground between the hills. Cultivation should be continued as long as there is room enough between the hills for the cultivator to pass, and should be followed by the rake to produce a clean surface and a dust mulch. 
when the cultivator can no longer be used, there will still be work for the narrow rake or hoe, and this should be used as long as possible. After the vines cover the ground, they should not be disturbed further until the fruit begins to ripen. In very dry and dusty spells of weather, the vines may be watered with advantage, especially if the watering may be done with a hose, so as to thoroughly cleanse the vine, and liquid manure may occasionally be given with advantage. Cucumbers When wanted for pickles, the cucumbers should be gathered as soon as they are large enough. It is better not to gather both pickles and cucumbers for the table from the same vine, as the maturing of the fruit decreases the production of young fruit. Often, however, there will be enough pickles overlooked in gathering to supply an average family with cucumbers for the table. It is always best to gather the tiny pickles first, depending for large pickles for use in making mixed pickles, pickled lily, mangoes, and the like on the later fruit, as this keeps the vines in better bearing condition. Any fruit which has grown too large to use or has begun to ripen should be at once removed, as the production of seed will greatly exhaust the vine and there is no economy in saving more than two or three for seed. The fruits grown on vines trained on wire netting are so easily gathered and so easily found that the picking is apt to be much cleaner than where the vines are grown on the ground. For growing on netting, the best variety is the Japanese climbing cucumber. This is a fine, large variety of a rich dark green and very shapely. It is a prolific bearer, and I find the flavor superior to any previously grown and it is exceedingly crisp and firm. It is equally good as a pickle or table variety, and if I were restricted to one variety, I should prefer this. As it is, I usually grow this on the netting and some good pickling variety on the ground. For a good all-around cucumber, the white spine varieties are satisfactory, and for pickles, the Chicago pickling, of which Snow's fancy pickling is an improved sort, is very popular with pickle factories and market men. A few cucumber and pickle recipes. Pare and cut cucumbers into small cubes till you have a cupful. Add one teaspoonful each of salt, minced onion, and parsley. One tablespoonful each of tarragon vinegar and lemon juice. Drain on colander or wire sieve half an hour. Put on ice. Just before serving, add one and one half cups of stiffly whipped cream. Halibut and cucumbers. Cook the halibut till tender in cord bouillon, two quarts of water. Add a few slices each of carrot, onion, and celery, two or three cloves and peppercorns, a bit each of mace, bay leaf, and parsley, a little salt, and lemon juice. Drain, and when cool, remove skin and bone and pick the fish apart in fine flakes. Make a rich white sauce in the regular way, adding from a quarter to a half teaspoonful of curry powder to every two cupfuls of sauce, according to taste. Pair, cut in halves, and parboil in bouillon the required number of cucumbers. Scoop out the inside of each half, fill with the creamed fish, cover with prepared crumbs, to which add one-third cupful of butter, to every cupful of dried breadcrumbs, and bake about half an hour or less, till the cucumbers are soft, but not till they lose shape. Serve with a lemon point on each plate. To serve cucumbers raw. Place them in ice water until very cold. Peel and slice very thin. Sprinkle with salt and place in an earthen dish, which should be tilted on one end to allow the water to drain away from the fruit. Place in the ice box until ready to serve. Drain free of moisture and serve in salad bowl with a dressing of pepper and vinegar. 
If liked young, green onions may be sliced and served with the cucumbers. Prepared thus, they are perfectly digestible and may be eaten by anyone. Cucumber a la creme Peel and cut into slices lengthwise some fine cucumbers. Boil them until soft, salt to taste, and serve with a delicate cream sauce. Cucumber pickles Select medium-sized small cucumbers. For one peck, make a brine which will bear up an egg. Heat it boiling hot and pour it over the cucumbers. Let them stand 24 hours, then wipe them dry. Heat some vinegar boiling hot and let stand again 24 hours. Now change the vinegar, putting on the fresh vinegar, adding to it one gill of brown sugar, one half gill of white mustard seed, a teaspoonful of cloves, and the same of cinnamon sticks, a piece of alum the size of a hickory nut, and a tablespoonful of celery seed. Heat it all boiling hot and pour over the cucumbers. Seal up in quart cans. To put down cucumbers a few at a time. When gathered from the vines, put in a crock or firkin layers of cucumbers and rock salt alternately, enough salt to make sufficient brine to cover them. No water, cover with a cloth. Keep them under the brine with a heavy board. Take off the cloth and rinse it every time you put in fresh cucumbers, as a scum will rise and settle upon it. Use plenty of salt, and the pickles will keep a year. To prepare pickles for use, soak in hot water and keep in a warm place until they are fresh enough. Then pour spice vinegar over them, and let them stand overnight. Then pour that off and put on fresh. Sweet Cucumber Pickles Take ripe cucumbers, pare them, and cut out the seeds. Cut in strips or fancy shape and soak in weak brine for 24 hours. Then put them in vinegar and water and soak for 24 hours longer. Then put them in sweetened vinegar, the same as for any sweet pickle, and cook until tender. Take to a quart of vinegar three pounds of brown sugar, a tablespoonful of ground cinnamon, and a few cloves tied in a cloth, and boil together and turn over the cucumbers. End of chapter 11, part 1「have been so greatly improved in the past few years that they possess a quality and flavor unknown a few years ago. To those who like a green flesh melon, and they are the sweetest, finest flavored melons grown, the rocky ford is a melon of melons. This is a small melon, averaging about five inches in length, oval in shape, beautifully netted, and of delicious flavor. It is eminently suited to growing on netting, as its small size makes it of easy support, and the fruit will not separate from the stem until ripe, so that a brief inspection of the vines will determine which fruit is ready to use without any preliminary handling. For a yellow-fleshed melon of a large, showy kind there is nothing superior to the iron de croix. The fruit is nearly round, finely netted, and of a handsome yellow color. It is a melon which sells better than most of the varieties in the market, and on the table well sustains its reputation for quality. I grow these two melons exclusively in my own garden, experience with other varieties demonstrating the truth that there is nothing superior in the melon line. Watermelons are not worth while growing here in the north. Cleckley's Sweet and Coles Early are good varieties for the northern garden, 
both being of good size, very sweet, and good bearers. Watermelon or muskmelon pickles. Cut the fruit into desired size and put in a stone jar and pour over it enough scalding vinegar to cover. Heat the vinegar three successive days and pour over fruit. Then weigh the fruit and to every five pounds add three pounds of white sugar, one quart vinegar and cloves, cinnamon, and allspice to suit. Boil all together until fruit is tender. Put the fruit in jars, boil down the syrup until there is just enough to cover, and pour over scalding hot. Pickled mangoes. Let the mangoes or young muskmelons lie in salted water strong enough to bear an egg for two weeks, then soak them in pure water for two days, changing the water two or three times. Then remove the seeds and put the mangoes in a kettle, first a layer of mangoes and then a layer of grape leaves and then mangoes and so on, until all are in, covering the mangoes with leaves. Add a lump of alum as large as a hickory nut, pour vinegar over them, and boil them ten or fifteen minutes. Remove the leaves and let the pickles stand in this vinegar for a week. Then stuff them with the following mixture. One pound of ginger, soaked in brine for a day or two and cut in slices. One ounce of black pepper. One of mace. One of allspice. One of turmeric. Half a pound of garlic, soaked in brine for a day or two and then dried. One pint of grated horseradish. One of black mustard seed. And one of white mustard seed. Bruise all the spices and mix with a teacupful of pure olive oil. To each mango add one teaspoonful of brown sugar. Cut one solid head of cabbage fine. Add one pint of small onions, a few small cucumbers, and green tomatoes. Lay them in brine for a day and night. Then drain them well and add the imperfect mangoes, chopped fine, and the spices. Mix thoroughly. Stuff the mangoes and tie them. Put them in a stone jar and pour over them the best cider vinegar. Set them in a bright, dry place till they are canned. In a month add three pounds of brown sugar. If this is not enough, add more to taste. This is for four dozen mangoes. Squashes Squash are such rank growing vegetables that they are especially benefited by liberal pinching back, and this should be done as soon as the vines are a few inches long and continued at intervals until cultivation ceases. There is little difference in the cultivation accorded the summer and winter squash. The varieties known as bush squash, however, are planted much closer together, from three to four feet, giving room enough for these. Where one has a convenient compost heap, sufficient summer squash may be grown on it to supply the needs of the table. They make a pleasing addition to the summer bill of fare, and some of them are good winter keepers. For a winter squash there are no better varieties than the old-fashioned hubbard and the golden hubbard the latter being a much more prolific bearer and ripening its fruit much in advance of the warded hubbard. I do not think it is quite so good a keeper as the hubbard. These we have had in perfection until mid-March, but so much depends upon the manner of handling the squash after harvesting that that must be taken into consideration in comparing any two varieties. Any variety of squash must be gathered before they are injured by frost, but unless the shell is so hard as to resist the thumbnail, they will not prove good winter keepers, nor will they cook very dry and mealy, as a good squash should. Such squash should be used at once if for table use, but they will be much relished by the poultry should they be unfit for household use, and should be stored in as dry a place as possible, and kept for that purpose. Toothsome Waves of Cooking Squash The green or summer squash is best when the rind has begun to turn yellow, 
as it is then less watery and insipid than when younger. Wash them, cut them in large pieces, and take out the seeds. Steam for three quarters of an hour, or until quite tender. When done, place on a piece of cheesecloth over a colander, and press with a potato masher or spoon till smooth. Then take the ends of the cheesecloth and twist them until all the moisture possible is extracted from the squash. Put in a stew pan and season with butter, pepper, and salt, and set it on the range, stirring frequently until quite dry, taking care that it does not burn, or may be set in the oven until dry, when it should be served in a hot dish. Baked Winter Squash Winter squash should never be cooked in water, as its quality depends upon the mealy dryness of the vegetable. Break into large pieces, remove the seed, and place in a dripping pan, first sprinkling lightly with sugar, and place in the oven to bake for about an hour, or until done. When done, peel and mash like mashed potatoes, seasoning with butter, pepper, and salt, or serve in the shells, to be eaten like sweet potatoes. Squash retains its sweetness much better this way than when boiled and is far drier. The next best thing to baking is steaming, the squash being broken into pieces, the shell removed or not, as preferred, and steamed till done, when it is mashed and seasoned and placed in the oven a few moments to dry out. Pumpkin Pie One quart of steamed or baked pumpkin or squash pressed through a sieve, nine eggs, whites and yolks beaten separately, two quarts of milk, one teaspoonful of mace, one teaspoonful of cinnamon, and the same of nutmeg, one and one-half cupfuls of white or very light brown sugar. Beat all well together and bake in a crust without a cover. Squash Pie One pint of steamed, dry squash, one cupful of brown sugar, three eggs, two tablespoonfuls of molasses, one tablespoonful of melted butter, one tablespoonful of ginger, one teaspoonful of cinnamon, a pinch of salt, and one pint of milk. This makes two ordinary pies, or one large deep one. Squash Souffle Pie Cook four tablespoonfuls of flour in one half cup of butter until smooth. Add gradually one and one quarter cupfuls of rich milk, three quarters of a cupful of sugar, one half cupful of molasses, and two cupfuls of sifted squash. Cook until the boiling point is reached. Then cool a little and stir gradually into the beaten yolks of six eggs, season with cinnamon, and fold into the mixture the beaten whites of four eggs. Turn into tins covered with rich pastry that has baked fifteen minutes, and return to the oven to finish baking the crust and to cook the souffle for about twenty minutes. When cool, cover with the meringue made of the two remaining whites, and set in the oven to brown slightly. Baked in patty tins, these are very nice for luncheons and Sunday night suppers. End of chapter 11, part 2 Well, dear listeners, I hope that planted some seeds of ideas in your mind that will reap benefits in the future. Curio Cabinet is a production of Mouth to Annette where creativity and nostalgia meet, grow some squash, and enjoy a wonderful harvest. If you'd like to see how Curio Cabinet might grow in the future, consider donating to our Patreon. Until next time, I hope your garden grows well.